before I get into the message, one of the things I was thinking about for, uh, uh, I forgot to mention for the men's conference was we have a women's conference coming up April 8th. Um, it's a one-day event on Saturday. Now, last year, the ladies, I believe, did 75. And we challenged the ladies into a, I don't know, a friendly competition. And, uh, and so far, it's been friendly. Um, and, uh, and we're trying to beat them this year. Um, and we tried really hard. And we ended up with 60. So, um, so, but we're not going to go on the ladies last year's number because that wouldn't be fair. So I think, you know, this coming April will be, we'll have to compare the numbers. And, and the, the loser has to cook dinner for the winners. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's a challenge I've been talking about a little bit. And, and uh, so, um, but we're, you know, us guys, we're going to help you ladies. We're going to help uh, with whatever we can do. We won't try to jinx it or anything or pray against it. Uh, but, uh, but there is a challenge going on there. So, uh, but, but the only question I have is this. So do we, do we decide who the winner is based on how many people show up or percentage over last year? That's what I was trying to figure out. See, that's the number I think we should go by because if we went 7 to 60, we got it in the bag because last year they got 7. What would they have to do? They'd have to do like uh, 75, well, like 300 or something, right, if the, the win. So that's the number I think, but I'm sure Teresa, who's uh, overseeing this, ministry would probably disagree with me, and um, she'll win that argument. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, ladies, get with Teresa, help her out. Um, it's, a, it's just a friendly, fun challenge, um, and don't worry, we won't order McDonald's for you if we lose. We'll, we'll make it a nice meal. Maybe some chili, right, Matt? Yeah, so that was some good chili. As a matter of fact, my wife texted me uh, when I was still here. She's like, who made that? Because that was outstanding. That was good. She said yummy, but it was good. So, uh, all right, so we're in a new series. Uh, we just finished off a, a series called Battle Ready, and uh, it was kind of gearing up to the Johnny Hunt Battle Ready uh, Men's Conference, which we just ended this weekend. So uh, now we're in a new series, and so uh, we're going to go through the book of Colossians. And it was, the book of Colossians is one of my favorite books. Um, it's, uh, it's part of a, a group of books, a group of letters that Paul wrote, and, um, and this is really a deep um, series. This is going to, it's called Rooted Deep, Growing Tall. And, and there's a lot of information we're going to get into, and we're going to go deep. We're not going to just touch the surface on things. I think we need to, uh, you know, be strong in our theology and what we believe in Christ, and I think we need clarity on that. So we're going to dig deep and, uh, and, and talk about some of these things um, that, are, that are in the Christian life, about Christ and who he is and how that affects us. And if you look at the picture, it has a roots that are deep and a, a growing tree. And the idea is we're going to dig deep and give you some foundation in, in your relationship with Christ and so you can grow tall and grow through, toward maturity. So that's the series. That's the idea behind it. That's what we're going to go for. Um, the, uh, the book is fantastic. Definitely start reading it. It's only four chapters long. So, so you can do that in a, you know, one sitting. You can just read through it and just keep reading it. Uh, one of the things that I encourage people is, if you're going to go through a series, don't just pick a, a, a little bit. Read through the whole thing. Get a good overview of the big picture, and then you can go into the little stuff and, and start picking out words and looking and studying a little deeper. But at least start with an overview. Four chapters, that's a breeze. Colossians was written by Paul uh, to the Christians in Colossae. It's a, a small town. And it was seventh, it's the seventh letter of his 14 letters to churches and church leaders. 
Um, Colossae was in Asia Minor, and which would be modern-day Turkey. And, um, and he, uh, Paul was on his missionary journey, and he was traveling all around, and he went to Ephesus, and he was staying there in Ephesus for quite some time, actually two years, and he was spreading the gospel and, and teaching the Gentiles. That was his ministry, was teaching the Gentiles. Even though he was a Jewish Pharisee before Christ, he was teaching the Gentiles about Christ. So that was who he really confronted the most was, was Gentiles. And that was his calling, was to the Gentiles. So he was there for two years in Ephesus, preaching and teaching and mentoring and discipling. And he, if you look at the, uh, the, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, he, you can just see the love that he has for them. And while he was there, the, the word of God spread around. If you look at uh, Acts number nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 10, it says, we went, uh, we went on, this we went on for two years, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So, so he's there preaching and teaching, and all through Asia Minor, all through Turkey, the word of God was being spread. And so this, this church was established. Now, we know that we're pretty certain that Paul did not start this church. It wasn't one of his church plants. Like, he's known for going into areas and starting a church with a small group of people that were already there. He would lead them to Christ, teach them, spend some time with them, and then he would leave on his missionary journey, and he would continue to counsel with them and, and teach them and help them grow. And that was common for Paul. But in this particular case, we, we're pretty certain that he didn't start this church. So it makes you wonder, okay, well, how did this church start? Uh, it looks like in, ver in chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 12, we get this guy named Apophras. Uh, Apophras. And he was one, we believe that he was the one that started this church. He's the one that, he must have been a convert of Paul. Um, he probably went into Ephesus because Ephesus was a big city. Um, Colossian was a, was a small town. He probably went in there, met Paul, got converted, went back to his hometown and planted a church. We also know that uh, Philemon, which there's a letter called Philemon, um, that letter, or, or that guy, he was also real close to Paul, and he was probably the house, and they probably planted the church at his house. So here's this one guy who's coming over to Philemon and planting a church and starting, and that's, those were the starting um, of that church in this small town. We also know that uh, toward the end of the book, there's a guy in chapter 4, we got this guy, uh, Onesimus. Um, and he was uh, in the very last, or in chapter 4, verse 8, it talks about this guy who was with you. So he's referencing this guy who's also part of this group. So now we got these, these three guys that are the core group. And that's probably who this letter's written to. He's probably dealing with certain things, and, 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 and we'll get into why he wrote it. But, uh, but here's these three guys who are in this house church, starting up, preaching and teaching. And, and, um, and Paul's writing this letter to them. Um, this, this guy, uh, Onesimus, he was a slave in the house of Philemon, too. So because of that, there's also a connection there. Now, at the time that Paul wrote this letter, it was about 60 to 62 A.D. Now, what was going on with Paul is most likely during that time, if, we, if the date is right, he was in Rome and he was in prison. And, and uh, if he's in the prison Rome, that tells us a lot because then he's already been in prison a few times. The guy was, you know, uh, he was getting locked up for different things, preaching the gospel, um, getting beaten, shipwrecked, all this. But now he's in Rome. And what that tells us is that if he's in Rome, he's getting ready to go up to the emperor. Because he's a Roman citizen, so he's being persecuted for his faith and for Jesus. Now he's been, he's basically used his citizen rights and said, look, you know what, you're going to accuse me of these things? I have the right to go to the emperor, appeal my case to the emperor. So now he's in Rome, and he's probably going to appeal the case which is going to probably end up with his life. And he's going to be a martyr for it. 
So now we have this, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's writing these letters. And we call these the prison epistles, or prison letters. It's Ephesians, uh, Colossians, and uh, what's the third? Oh, Philippians. And these, these letters, it's interesting because uh, in, in a couple months, we're gonna pre- I'm going to preach on Philippians. So if you want to get ahead and read Philippians, I'm going to preach on that in a co- and right after Easter. And, and it's interesting because when he writes these letters, you see so much love that Paul has, but yet he's sitting in prison. And when he's sitting in prison, it's not just, it's, you know, the prisoners we have today and the jails that we have today, they're living in luxury compared to this guy. This guy is locked up in a dungeon. Well, well certain cases. These guys, are, in this particular case, he's in house arrest. But sometimes he's locked in dungeons. It's not, not a nice situation. He's got guards and he can't do anything. So he writes these letters to, called the prison epistles, the prison letters. And in Colossians, if you look at Colossians and Ephesians, you'll find that there's a lot of similarities to the letters. You find a lot of material in there, a lot of, a lot of similar sentences, a lot of similar phrases. Um, in fact, both of them start off the first few chapters dealing with doctrinal issues. Very clear doctrinal issues. Here's, here's what Christ teaches, and he's clarifying things. Both of them deal with, with the church being the body of Christ, and, and uh, Christ is the head of the church. Both of them deal with Christ, uh, the church being raised with Christ, and, and uh, the birth of the church is really from Christ. Uh, they both emphasize the uh, church's union with Christ. Uh, there's lengthy sections on, on the old man and when we come to Christ to put on the new self and the new birth. There's lots of similarities. In fact, 55, or no, I'm sorry, 54 out of the 155 verses in Ephesians are almost exactly as Colossians. They're very similar in how they are, are the things that Paul's talking about. Now, the purpose of, of this letter is multiple. Uh, there's multiple levels on this, but we're going to just talk about a couple little things. Uh, one is that city of Colossus, the letter was sent to, a, it was a small town. And most of them were filled with, with uh, Greeks and, and uh, Jews. And, and there, there's this infusion of Greek or Jewish legalism and uh, Jewish mysticism. So there's this conflict of religion there. And so now Paul is looking at this, and he knows this about the city, and he goes to address certain issues. He's written to, he wrote this letter to deal with false teachings of a cult that's out there, and this cult is called Gnosticism. And this, this cult is, is challenging the deity of Christ. This cult is sitting there saying, you know, Jesus isn't really the only way to get to heaven. Jesus is not who he says he is. And they're challenging these doctrines, these key things. And these most important things about the Christian faith is who Christ is. And so he's challenging these things. Now, the, the Gnostics come from the word uh, gnosis, which is to know. And basically what they were teaching was that they taught a person that, that, the, uh, that Christ wasn't sufficient and that you needed a higher knowledge or more wisdom to be able to be saved. It was about knowledge. And, we, and, you know, it's interesting because we actually see that in our culture today. We see this thing where, where if, you, if you know, you're elevated because of knowledge or as if knowledge is going to get you to heaven. So Paul writes in this book, he writes this, or this letter, he writes one of the strongest Christologies, and Christologies is a study of Christ, um, the strongest doctrinal statements about Christ seen all through Scripture. He challenged, he says, look, this is the truth. 
And he goes right to it. He does not sugarcoat it. He goes right to it. And we're going to see some of that through the series. We're going to see some of that Christology. We're going to give you some core doctrinal things. So when you go out in the world and you go minister to people, you'll have a, a good knowledge of who Christ is. And you won't be swayed differently. So he teaches, some of the things that he teaches is about that it's, uh, he teaches that not only is Christ God, but he's the creator of all things. And we see that in the first chapter. And that Jesus created everything. We see that he's a supreme uh, over all creation and he is sufficient for salvation. We see that also in the first chapter. If a major theme of, uh, of Ephesians is the mystery of the church and the major theme of Philippians is joy, then Colossians' major theme is the supremacy of Christ. Throughout the book or throughout the letter, Paul exalts Christ and teaches that it is Christ's presence in the church that is the hope of all glory. If we're going to have hope in reaching the lost, if we're going to have hope in our lives, if we're going to have hope in anything that has to do with the Christian life, it is through Christ. And he's the hope of all glory. Paul focuses on Christ and teaches us that the new believer is redeemed from sin and that we can have victory over Satan. We can live victorious lives. I love this book because of this. I mean, he just really gets in. I mean, if you want to be, if you really want to understand Christ, read this book. Read this letter. Paul teaches that, he, that we died with Christ and we are raised up with Christ in a new creation. When he talks about a, a relationship with Christ to radically change us. It should be changing us from the inside out. Not just on the outside, just going to church here and there or being nice once in a while. No, he's supposed to change us. A relationship with Christ changes us from the inside out and we give more, we love more, we share more. We do these things because of the change. We should take off the clothes of sin and put on the clothes of righteousness. And we can do that with the help of Christ. If we try to do it on our own, it can't happen. But with Christ, we can. We can live holy lives with Christ. He talks about the relationship uh, with Christ should affect every relationship that we have. He goes on in chapter 3 and 4. He talks about the relationship between husbands and wives, children, families, Slaves and masters, which is uh, talking about our bosses and the people that have authority over us. Fathers. He speaks to the church on how to walk wisely around those who are unsaved. See, the teachings of Colossians is extremely important. It's a book that, even though it's only four chapters, has a pa is packed full of great stuff for us to learn how to live in righteousness. This book is an apologetic, which means the defense of the Christian faith. It's an apologetic against evil, uh, evil teachings that say Christ is not enough. We've heard that, haven't we? There's people all around the world that say Christ isn't enough. We have to work and have Christ, or we have to Christ and another teaching of some sort. We see that in um, this aspects of, of Gnostic theology is all around in different cults around the world. Mormonism, Jehovah Witness. We lived in Salt Lake City for three years, ministering to the Mormons. And, the, and, the, and I, I love them. My in-laws are LDS or Mormon. I love them very deeply. But their theology is, Christ isn't enough. You also have to do good works. Christ isn't enough. You have to obey what they call the, uh, oh, actually, I just, just went right out there. Uh, I forgot what it was. Uh, words of wisdom. 
And it's this thing where you can't smoke, can't drink, can't do this, can't do that. And if you do these things, then you get to go to heaven. Or you'll be a good Christian. Christ isn't enough to the Mormon church. Jehovah Witnesses too. We hear that in theology today. So that's one of the reasons why this book of Colossians is so important. And studying the supremacy of Christ. Paul writes this, the book, to encourage the church in their faith. He writes to speak against the heresy that's threatening the church. And he writes to, to deal with these confusing issues. There's people all around the world that think Mormonism is Christian. That's kind of confusing. Unless you study Scripture, and unless you study the Word of God, you might not know that. and You might agree. But until you study the Scriptures, you won't know the differences between these different things. So that's why we're going to study this. And we're going to dig deep. We're going to get these roots going down so we can live strong. The church must guard and defend the truth of Christ as God. And that he is sufficient for all things. He's sufficient for us to be reconciled with God. He is enough. Hope and salvation is not Christ plus something. It's not Christ and good works. We don't earn our salvation. Salvation is through Christ alone. Period. The book of Colossians is still relevant and needed today. Christ is still Lord and Christ is still God. So if you want to open your Bible to so Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read the first five verses. It will be up on the screen, but get ready to read through this. Even though these folks, these, this church faces great dangers, Paul is optimistic that they will overcome these obstacles. And he's very grateful and thankful for this church. He loves this church. So let's take a look at this verse. Starting at verse 1, it says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have heard from, of, our, of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation since you have first heard the truth of the good news. Our message today is about faith, hope, and love. And that's something that, that, they are, uh, that Paul is recognizing in this church. It wasn't, it's not that, you know, they, they were failing or, or struggling or like in other letters, like in the Corinthians, they were struggling with sexual immorality and all these issues. Now he's saying, look, you guys really held on to it. He's praising them. He's saying good things about them. He's talking about their, their strong faith, for starters. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God or do the things of God. With faith, great things can happen to a small church. With faith, Great things can happen in a small church. You know, when we first started talking about this men's conference, um, you know, we were all not sure. I mean, seriously, the first, the first meetings, we, we just weren't sure what we were going to do or how, you know, we dreamed about it. We, we set a goal for 100, 100 people, and that was kind of hard to, to, to fathom. Especially when last year was seven. But it was faith that kept us moving. It was faith that God was going to bless it. It was faith that kept us going forward, meeting week after week, month after month, 
to prepare. It was faith that blessed this weekend with 60 men coming together, praising God together. See, they, these, these Colossians stepped out in faith and attempted great things for God even though they were a small church. This became something that was known to Paul as he heard about what was going on there. It was something that encouraged him as he heard the reports of what this small church was doing. It encouraged him and inspired him and, and, and it motivated him to write this letter. Paul calls them saints and brothers in Christ. Now it's interesting because if you look in the previous verses, he, Paul talks to, about Timothy. He says that Timothy wrote this letter with me, or he was with me when I wrote this letter. And, and he refers to Timothy as brother. Now that word is called Adelphi, or Delphos. Okay, and that's the Greek word for it. Now what this word is talking about is it's a family brother. You know, we can, we can all walk around and be like, hey brother, you know, and, and it can be very general. But then there's a difference between that and your biological brother, right? Your biological brother, there's some loyalty there. There's some, there's some, some strength, there's some love. There's some, you know, you're going to defend your brother. And there's, there's a different relationship than just more casual. And, and so he, Paul refers to him as his brother because he looked at Timothy as his son in the faith. And he really loved this man. He loved this young man and was encouraging him. That's the same word that Paul uses here when he's referring to the, the Colossian church. He's saying... The same exact word, Adelphos. And he's saying, look, you know what? Brothers and sisters, you are brothers in the faith. You are my kin. And here in the, the South especially, but rural communities, we know how important family is. This, is. this was a brother in Christ, another brother in the faith. So that's a strong word. He considers them family. He considers this, this group as part of his family, even though he hasn't necessarily met all of them. See, these folks, these, this church in Colossus, they were, they were real. They were, they were genuine. They weren't playing a game. They were faithful in Christ. And they, they, Paul rejoiced because these, these people just loved the Lord. And, he was, and, he, and, and so Paul hears about this and says, you know what, brothers, my family, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so happy that you're strong in the faith. Their strong faith refreshed Paul's soul as he heard of their prayers and their giving. One of the great preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said this. He said, a little faith will take your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Are we known as a people of great faith? Are you known as a person of great faith? This is a great lesson for us to learn is, is stepping out in that faith. And we want to be known as a church that lives by faith. And we as a people live by faith. And we need to have strong faith. We need to dig deep and, and take that step out. And, to, and it takes courage to step out in faith. When we plan these things like these events and the vision, it takes courage to step out because there's an action involved. Faith is not idle. It's, a, it's an action-packed word. And you have to step out in faith. What have you attempted for God that only he can do through you? What has... What have you attempted for God that only he can do through you? God wants to use you and bless you, but you've got to step out in faith. You have to take that one step forward and act out that faith. Paul also loved this church because of the, their love for the brothers, the brethren. He, they had a sincere love for each other. 
They had faith, and they stepped out big, and they were uh, giving and, and sharing, but then they also loved each other deeply. See, love is a result of a changed life. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and you don't have love, I have to question that genuineness. See, love is a result of a changed life. A life that is, that is letting the gospel grow deep and have roots within the believer. As we mature in, in Christ, our, our value and our virtue of love grows with it. In fact, the Apostle John repeats that thought over and over and over again in his letters, and, in the, and Jesus talks about love all through the Gospels. A true child of God will love other believers. We'll have a deep love for them. John MacArthur writes this, Faith in Christ purges us of our selfish and a selfishness and affinity for sinners and gives us a new attraction to the people of God. Our love for fellow Christians is a reflection of his love for us. It is also obedience to the command to love one another even as I have loved you. See, churches need to resonate love. We, people need to feel the love when they walk in the doors. People need to, to play, churches need to be a place filled with love. See, love is a badge of discipleship. It is love that, that proves we've passed from death to life. It proves, love proves that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Love should begin with those closest to us, and it should, and it should go out into the community as we go to work, as we go to school, as we, as we socialize with other people, when we go to the store, we should be showing love. When we go to a restaurant, we should be generous in the tip and, and show love. Write a note. Thank you for great service. Thank you for, for serving me this, when I was at lunch today. It's okay to do that. We should be showing love and encouragement everywhere we go. When you're at school, some of the kids at school or some of the teachers, show the love to the kids. Show the love to the teachers and the staff. Not just your friends. Show love to everybody. Everywhere we go, we should be loving. We should be resonating that love. Love ends strife and builds fellowship. What a great reputation for a church to have. What a great reputation that, this, that, that little church in Colossae has enough where Paul praises them for it. That's the reputation that we're working toward. Paul also loves this church and, and recognizes this church because there's sure hope of heaven. Hope is the vision of the future that sees the hand of God in continued guidance and protection. Let me say that again. Hope is the vision of the future that sees the hand of God and continued guidance and protection. See, we have a hope for our eternal state. We have a hope that's going to come in the future. See, by faith, we know that our bodies, when our bodies stop working, we have a hope in heaven. Could you imagine not having that? Could you imagine what life would be like if we didn't have this future hope of being saved or being up in heaven with Jesus Christ, being sin-free and joyous for all eternity, dancing around in our, in our perfect bodies? 
Now, I, I daydream a lot. I'm kind of a dreamer at times. And you know one of the things I've dreamed about? I dreamed about one someday when we get, there's two things I dream about about heaven. One is, actually three, actually four, wait. No, three. I'll give you three. There's much more. One is, I try to think about my, when I get my resurrected body, I, I've gained a, a pound or two over the years. I'm old. I'm getting older. And uh, so I think, hmm, when was the, my prime? And I was probably being boot camp when I was in my early 20s. That was when the, the healthiest I ever was. And I hope and pray that when I get to heaven, I'll be a 20-year-old body. I'm waiting for that. That's going to be awesome. The other thing is the banquet in heaven. There's scripture that talks about banquet in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. Because guess what? I can eat all the chicken I want and all the hot sauce on there I want, and I won't gain a pound. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. See, there's all kinds of stuff. You might dream about something else. I'm looking forward to, I hope there's fishing. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. I hope there's fishing. I know, that I, I, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. There's no death in heaven, so does that mean the animals, we won't be able to eat fish? I don't know. But we'll find out when we get there. But you know, there's a lot of awesome things that are going to happen in heaven, and I'm so looking forward to it. I'm not ready, but I'm looking forward to it. Why? Because we get to sit with the Savior for all eternity. And so we have a hope of the future. We have a hope in Christ. And that's what these folks are doing. These folks, are they have this hope for eternity. They have a hope for heaven. Why be a follower of Jesus if this life is all there is? And notice that the source of hope is not a human generation, generated emotion or philosophy. It's a trap of intellectualism and Gnosticism. Truth is found in God's word, and God's word says that things are going to get worse here. But there's hope in heaven. Faith and love spring from hope, not intellect. Some of the smartest people I know are atheists. Notice how hope has two components. Paul talks about stored up in heaven and that you've already heard about the word of truth. See, heaven is very real for us believers. And it was for them too. They knew, these guys, these folks that were at this church knew that this wasn't their home. And they were storing up treasures in heaven, not here. They were investing their time and resources and finances to spread the kingdom of God. And they were sharing uh, everything they had to build people or bring people to Christ. They weren't laying up treasures here. They were laying up treasures in heaven. Folks. <laughs> Uh, that, hey, oh, it's noon. I should have known that. Did, I'm not going to point out names, but uh, Wes, did you plan that? <laughs> That's funny. All right. Hey, you can't laugh at yourself. Uh, all right. So, folks, <laughs> and that was a really good line I had, too. That sucks. All right. I'm just going to read it, and it's going to be very blah. <laughs> Beloved, that is what the church of the living God should be, a body of believers known for our great faith, our great love, and our great hope. We as a church, I know this is a loving church. I know it is. I've been here seven months, and you're a loving church. We need to get show that love out there. We need to show that great faith out there. We need to show that love of Christ 
out there. Such a church will refresh others as the church at Colossae refreshed Paul. This world is filled with people looking for a church home that is loving, caring, can provide hope in this hurting world. And you can do that. Not just me. I, 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 I will preach until I see the resurrection. But you guys can do it too. Get out there. Show that love of Christ to everybody around here. Show it. Make a difference. Be that church. People out there have been tired. They're tired of going to churches that are just dead and quiet and don't show love. They're tired of it. Be the church that resonates like this one, like the one we're talking about today and that we're going to study over the next few weeks. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the church in Colossae and, and Paul's letter here. And as we open up, open up this, this book, this letter over the next number of weeks, teach us, Lord. Help us be that church and, and, and mimic the love and the hope and the faith that they have. Thank you so much for that example. Father God, touch each and one of our hearts as we grow in a, our relationship with you. And, and, we, and I just hope and pray that you continue working in our lives. Challenge us, mold us, teach us. Bring us to be the disciples that you want us to be. Not what we think we should be, but what you want us to be. Father God, thank you so much for the men's conference this week and, and the blessings that we see. And, and, you know, Lord, it was just so moving to see this happen. And it just built my faith even more, and it just made me excited to be here even more so, Lord. Thank you for that blessing because we give you the glory, not ourselves. We were just instruments for your vision. And Father God, thank you so much for blessing the work effort. We give you all the glory and the praises, and we have hope in you, and we know that we will be able to lead more people to a relationship with you. Father God, thank you. I can't think, say thank you enough. You are my Savior, my friend, and I love you. And all God's people said, amen. We're going to uh, 